Hello. I want to talk about what is the best religion. A friend of mine was the novelist John Ball. He wrote a book that became very popular in the heat of the night. He was a mystery writer. He's also, he was very nicely mentioned by Tom Clancy in his dedication for one of his books, I believe it was Patriot Games. But John Ball told me that what he hoped was that on his tombstone would be written John Ball, author of The Fourteenth Point. The Fourteenth Point is a book that he wrote on a totally different subject. It, it envisioned the leaders of different religions getting together and trying to find some point of, or, or as many points as possible, of agreement. An interesting subject because usually what we have found in the history of religion is that people are always trying to show how their way is the best. In fact, I, was, I immediately was interested in this because I had had a similar uh, experience in my desire to express the underlying unity. Many years ago, in 1960, I was invited to be a participant in a Congress of Religions of the World. And I was stunned as I was listening to these different representatives of the various religions, each one declare not the unity of religions, but the supremacy or the particular uh, virtues of his own religion. The bishop, Catholic bishop in Calcutta thanked the organizers for giving him an opportunity, as he put it, to speak of my Lord Jesus Christ. And each one used it sort of as a platform for proselytizing the audience. And when my turn came to speak, I said the same thing John Ball said in his book. I said that this is an opportunity for us to see what each of us has, what we all have, I should say, in common, rather than talk about the differences. And people afterwards said, my, that was so wonderful. That's really what we ought to do. And I thought, my goodness, you mean you hadn't thought of that? What is the purpose of having a Congress of Religions, if not that? So John Ball tried to, in this novel, visualize a meeting of the various leaders of the various faiths or important people within those faiths. And the intriguing thing was that they were not able to come to any agreement. They wanted to take, uh, some proposed, as a basis of uh, agreement for everybody, a belief in God. You'd think that was fairly fundamental. No, the Buddhists said that there is no God. That isn't that Buddha said there is no God, but his followers have uh, taken that as his meaning in the fact that he didn't want to talk about God. He wanted to talk about our responsibility and making ourselves more receptive to higher vision. But uh, so the Buddhists said no. Then the Shintoists said no, there's no God. And so they couldn't take that. Then a belief in the soul. Well, no, certain religions didn't believe in the soul. Then, well, a belief in the afterlife. No, there were certain ones who said they couldn't accept that. And down the list of all the various things that people uh, would think were almost the reason for being of any religion, there was some religion that couldn't accept that. Until finally the Dalai Lama came and pointed out that all religions have one thing in common, and that is the golden rule. 
do unto others as you would be un would have them do unto you. So they all went home happily, having made this great discovery of unanimity. And much as I liked John, much as I approved of his thesis, I finished the book thinking, no, that's not right. That can't be. We don't need religion to tell us to do unto others as we would have them do unto you. In fact, that's rather a mercenary way of looking at it. If I'm going to do something to you uh, because I think of what you're going to do for me, then, uh, well, that's what every shopkeeper does. And uh, there may be more exalted ways of looking at it, but in any case, that is not the sum total of what religion is all about. And so I went back over his book and I looked at all these different religions and I thought, no, the thing that they all have in common is that they are trying to uplift human consciousness. They may do it talking about God or not talking about God. They may do it uh, believing in the soul or not believing in the soul. They may do it believing in life after death or not believing in life after death. But all of them have this one thing in common that separates them from other spheres of endeavor. And whereas in every sphere of endeavor there are some people who try also to uplift people's consciousness, and we can also say that there are people within religion who have no, make no effort to uplift people's consciousness, nevertheless this is the message of religion and it's the religious aspect of anything else that human beings do. So that if you find an artist who is trying to uplift human consciousness instead of merely degrading it, as so many do, then he's acting in a religious sense in his art. It's, this is the aspect of religion that we apply to human life in any sphere that we might uh, be, be acting. Businessmen who try to lift people's consciousness and not just keep them thinking in terms of gain, are religious people in a sense. Atheists can be religious people, even though they don't believe in God, if they are loving people, if they want to help people, if uh, uh, theirs is a giving heart energy. And I could say, just as, just as realistically, that there are plenty of people who wear the trappings of religion may even live in monasteries, may even be priests in churches who are yet not religious because they have no love, because they have no compassion, no charity. So religion is a state of human consciousness. Religion is something acting upon human consciousness, but it is not necessarily an outward thing. It isn't necessarily a church, which might be a hotbed of, of uh, revolutionary uh, activity or, or uh, uh, conspiracy for evil deeds. It's conceivable. Religion is not a thing. Religion is a state of mind above all, a message that has come into this world, a message that acts upon human consciousness to uplift it. And if people fall, fall from that consciousness, that's because they are wrong, not because religion is wrong. It isn't that religion fails us. We can fail religion. Then what is the best religion? Well, I've defined it, first of all, as the only religion 
There is only one basic truth. And if you think that, well, unless you take Jesus Christ's name, you can't get there, then I would like to ask you, where do you think you're getting? I've seen a lot of people who say that they're saved, and I can't help wondering what they're saved from. If, and presumably they do mean, that they are saved from those things that keep us bound to our animal nature, then I have to say I don't necessarily see it. I see it in some, I don't see it in others. But not by saying, Lord, Lord, Jesus said, are you going to get there? You've got to do the things that he said. And so religion doesn't let us down, but we may let religion down. We may not live up to its truths, but don't take it as a criticism of religion that uh, some religionists have perpetrated terrible deeds because that truth is there and it's in each one of us. And ultimately then, what I want to say is not only this general thought that whatever name you gave it, it, give it, it's still the goal, the aim of religion is to lift people's consciousness, but to lift them toward what? Well, toward something in themselves. Heaven isn't out there. Jesus said, don't say lo here, lo there. The kingdom of God is within you. Those were his words, and that is the teaching in all religions. You'll notice something else about Jesus. He didn't talk against the great teachers of other religions. He talked against the ignorant misunderstanding of religious truth. And he applied it mostly to his own listeners because they were the people with him, the people he had to help. But there is a great unanimity among the great teachings of this world. When you find the writings of great masters who knew God, you'll find that essentially they all said the same thing. And it's the little people who argue and fight. But there's no fighting among those great ones because they all know. Ramakrishna, a great master of India, said that the bumblebee makes a lot of noise when it's outside the flower. But once it enters the flower, then it's silent because it's sipping the nectar. And so also when one has reached that level, of entering into the silence, entering into communion with God. There's no fighting then. And so what we come back to finally is a very simple truth described sort of inferentially, you might say, in saying to lift our consciousness. But ultimately, we're talking about you, you as an individual, as a distinct soul, and personality. You have to find who you are. You have to develop your own potential. You have to realize what that potential is. And so we can say that the best religion is self-realization. To realize who you really are as opposed to who you think you are, who you appear to be, this body, this personality, these are just your beginnings, but mostly they're taken from other people. They don't really all that much describe who you really are. Because you take your values, you, mar you borrow your opinions, your very personality is sort of the product of the things that you've done, the victories you've gained, the defeats you've suffered. All of these are written into your personality, but is that who you are? Not at all. You change, but there's something inside you that witnesses that change and doesn't change. 
Your body changes. The body you had as a two-year-old, as a 10-year-old, 20-year-old, <clears throat> the body you'll have at 70, 80, 90. It looks very different, doesn't it? But the inner being is just the same. A friend of my mother's, when my mother was about 70, said to her, she was also about 70, she said, people look at this body now, they'd, they'd been friends for many, many years. She said, people look at this body now and say, that is an old lady. But I just laugh, I know that there's just the same little girl inside. And that's how you are in your consciousness too. The same person will be yourself for all eternity. And so to realize yourself means to realize who you really are, because we're two people in a sense. We're this part that has come up from unconsciousness, and that's the Darwinian part of us, that part that through survival of the fittest and competition for survival and so on, we manage to overcome various problems and we manage to develop ourselves to uh, certain heights, but like as if pushed from below. And many people think that that's all we are. But there is another thing that is much more explanatory even of the law of evolution. And what is that? It's the pull from above. It's the pull toward what you know inside you can achieve. I don't suppose anybody in this world has ever said, I'm evil, and really meant it. Because we always know inside ourselves that there's something good that hasn't yet been expressed. We are not creatures of Satan. We are not creatures of darkness. We are children of the light. And there is something within all life that keeps sort of reaching up, stretching up, trying to, trying to draw uh, down into ourselves a higher understanding, a higher potential for joy and love and peace and wisdom and power, all of these things you are. So we have the lower side, we also have the higher side. And self-realization means to realize who we really are, that self to which we are evolving back, that reality from which we have come. You, if you read the Bible in the right way, you'll see that there's great, great depth in it, far more than people imagine who leap around, bound around, shouting at everybody, are you saved? They ought to listen a little bit more, pray a little bit more, and med meditate a little bit more, because prayer is talking, but meditation is listening. Listen to the truth. What did Jesus mean when he said, no man can ascend to heaven, save he who has come down from heaven? What did he mean by that? Did he mean that he alone came from heaven, he alone can ascend therefore to heaven? then what's the point of his coming down here to teach? The self-evident meaning is that we have come down from that truth. As it says in the ancient writings, you are of old, O son of man, yea, of everlasting. You have come from the infinite, and your job is to get back to that infinite. And why are you here? Because for a time you began to think that things would give you happiness. What a superstition to think that things which are inanimate 
can give you something that's entirely a matter of consciousness. You don't get happiness from things. What you get happiness from is the thought that those things will make you happy. But one thing will give another person, one, as they say, one man's meat is another man's poison. What will give one person happiness will make another person uh, simply disgruntled. It's all what we do for ourselves and to ourselves. We get a thought in the mind that something will make us happy. We get it and we feel happy. Or we have a thought in the mind that we won't be happy until we get that thing. And so we remove that pinch on our hearts of desire and we feel so relieved that in the relief also we feel happy. But we do this all to ourselves. And this is the essence of religion, to help you to find your own inner potential. Learn to stand on your own feet. Don't look to other people to do it for you. A thousand Christs couldn't give you that until you learn to walk by your own power. And then what they'll do is pull you along. They'll give you the strength to act if you act. They'll give you the understanding if you try to understand. But they won't give it to you automatically just for saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Praise him in the right way by trying to become like him. That's the greatest compliment you can give him. Don't they say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery? Then imitate the saints. Imitate Jesus. That's one of the greatest works of Christendom. The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. A work worthy of being read every day of your life. Because every day you'll find something new, something profound, some deep guidance. Try to live like Christ in your own life. Try to become like him. Don't think that it's a question of humility that you shouldn't aspire to such heights. Humility is not self-degradation. Uh, humility is self-forgetfulness in the contemplation of a higher reality and trying to place your little reality in rapport with that highest. Now, how do you realize that self? By meditation. You can't do it. God can do it. You have to lift your mind into openness to him. Then, if only God can do it, and there are religions that don't believe in God, can they not call themselves religions? Yes, they can, because the word doesn't matter. The French call him Dieu. The Germans call him Gott. Italians call him Dio. It's all the same. The Indians call him Bhagavan or, or uh, uh, Ishvara. They have many names for God just to help us to remember that no one name, no one definition, no one description will ever confine him. But whatever it is, that highest reality of which you are capable, you can call it God, call it anything you like if it helps you to aspire to the heights of what you really are.